We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 498. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody out there. We've got uh, a great show for you today. Andy Martino joins the show again. He was on over the summer. I talked to him for almost an hour. A lot of good stuff in there. Um, he's writing a book about the Astros cheating scandal, so he's got some... Yeah, it's uh, it's due to come out, uh, he said, right around uh, spring training. And uh, so a lot of good stuff in there about that how the season ended for the Yankees um, Mets, the dynamic with, with uh, Cohen owning the Mets. Now I gotta tell you, man, I'm excited for the Mets to have a competent owner. Really? You're excited. Yeah. What, what if they take DJ LeMahieu away from us? Are you going to be excited then? No, but, but I might blame uh, you now. I might not to spoil anything. Now. Andy doesn't think that'll happen, but I just think that I think from like a, a, a city buzz type of thing, Having both teams relevant and actually com- like legitimately competing with one another, I think could be cool. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a long way to get to that point, but the uh, the fact that they have a guy that's you know not <laughs> not being defrauded in a Madoff scandal or you know has more money than God, that's a good thing for them. It's definitely a good thing. Getting uh, unhinged from a really shitty ownership group, that's that's a good thing. So good yeah. for them. I'm glad little brother has a uh, some dad some a, a good stepdad now with a lot of pot with a deep pockets. It's good. Well, at a certain, I mean, at a certain point, like. Like like you talked about with the Red Sox quote rivalry, like I don't know, it's lost its. I need something that's lost its edge. Like I need some. I need some buzz. I need some edge in my season. Yeah, I, I think it's good. I like when there's when there's competitiveness because then the the fan base is you know they get very better. The Mets fan yeah. are very better. Oh yeah. Um. So I'm fine with that. I yeah. They can be good in the National League and then and do things over there and act like they're they're the the you know the team in New York. That's great. It's funny. It's cute. It's adorable. I can see it's already Robbie, getting under your skin. <laughs> Bobby Cano, no longer, no longer there. That's a no. thing. I mean, now that that Lemayhu is uh, the the market is very much wide open. We talked about him, you know, declining the uh, um, the offer as expected. But I think Robbie Cano not being over there, even though he's not full time second baseman, still it relieves some money for at least next year. Are you getting worried about Lemayhu? Like that the Yankees are not going to bring him back. The reports are the Yankees want him back and he wants to be back with the Yankees. So you'd think, okay, what's the problem? Get the deal done. Bingo, bango, let's get this thing done. But other teams, Nationals, Red Sox, uh, a couple other teams have been linked to to LeMahieu. Maybe the Yankees are not willing to go the length of the contract that LeMahieu wants. The longer it goes on, I think the worse it is for the Yankees resigning him. Oh, there's no doubt because that means they haven't agreed to a deal yet. Yes, that that is it gives them more opportunities for other people to get involved too. The fact that if it if it if this is a a, um, a a deal that's not getting done for a one to two year, which does worry me. That part of it worries me because the Yankees are absolutely known for not going that extra year or two based on a number or you know, whatever they have in their brain, a valuation that they have in their brain that they don't move from. Freaking Randy Levine doesn't move from. I don't think Randy Levine has any I think say he is. I think he's a contracts. I think Randy Levine is in, in is the is the a guy that has no a, a, no he, he does. He weasels his way into the conversation. I don't he like might it. poke his head in the conference room, but then Brian Cashman quickly locks the door on his ass. I don't know. I I hope so, but I think that at the end of the day, if it comes down to something like that, if it doesn't happen, if the deal doesn't happen, and it's because of a, a one-year option that's not guaranteed that he gets guaranteed somewhere else, and you know a few million bucks, it's gonna really piss me off. Yeah, it's gonna piss me bullshit. off no matter what. That'll be yeah. big time bullshit. You have two consenting parties right now. Make a deal happen. Do do you uh, do you? In- I'm trying to think of how I want to ask this question. Can you? Envision a scenario where the Yankees don't re-sign LeMahieu this offseason, but get better. No. No. Like if they br- if they make a trade for Francisco Lindor and their plan is Lindor at shortstop and Glaber Torres back to second base. I mean, I think you can make an argument that makes the Yankees better. You could make an argument that, that makes them better. I, I disagree. You're saying because of the, sh- the slide over from short to shortstop. Uh, yeah, Lindor I think Glaber Torres. I think Glaber Torres becomes a better player, and then you have Francisco Lindor, a switch hitter, great, one of the best shortstops in the game. Coming off of a, bad- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like it because I still think the Yankees could sign Lemayhu, but uh, and I don't think Lindor is like a realistic possibility. 
But I think you can make an argument that the team is better off for that. I I will not listen to any argument. I will not <laughs> I, I will not give um, the attention to any argument that says the Yankees are a better team with DJ LeMahieu off of the roster. No, it, it, yeah, I, I it's hard it. for me to entertain that. So so I mean that's a it's a must then for this offseason not to be a failure. Yes. I think oh, in your mind and a lot percent. of Yankees fans' minds that if DJ LeMahieu is not re-signed, plus some, because you can't just go into next year with the exact same squad that you had this year that wasn't good enough to get out of the division series. Well, they you were so to... close. So close. They were I right there. About that. They I were talked right about that there. Andy. Right there. But, uh, th- but that's the thing. Like We've talked about this so many times that you, you not only need DJ LeMahieu back, but you need more players like DJ LeMahieu around him that mm. give you a different option, a different look in the lineup. Balance. Yes. That lineup balance. So if you're... If diversity, you're of, diversity of styles. Correct. Bat to ball, essentially. You yeah. make contact and find green area good. Th- those are good things. The So DJ LeMahieu, piece number one. But also now compliment him with other people who could make more contact and turn this lineup over, you know, more it's often not, without striking it's, out. It's not like they have five roster holes on the playing side, on the position player side to fill. So no, but at the gonna, same you time, you might have to subtract away from certain areas and add. Yes, or you improve. Again, I've, I've, I'm gonna go. I feel like I'm gonna die on this hill, but I do believe that um, Clint Frazier can be a guy that that plays. Uh, to more contact, that can no, be. He can, but he's still. That's the same name. That's the same. It's the same name, but but they're gonna have to. Ch- I I understand that. I don't think that that many. There's just not that many great options on the market right now. To be honest, like you look around, you're like, how are we improving? Unless you're getting, um, you know, you're getting richer via trade in a way that, or you know, or it's, like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, 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 why can't I think of his name? Michael Brantley. Field, Michael Brantley. You knew. See, this is life. Almost 500 episodes. It's like <laughs> it's like you're in my brain. Uh. Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley is a guy that can that can improve that for sure. But then you're now also um, you're getting rid of the guy that I'm trying to die on a hill for. So you know, I, well, yeah, you'd yeah. rather be right than the Yankees. Good, I get it. Well, it, both both is good. <laughs> I've I've done that in the past. Uh, look, Br- Michael Brantley definitely gives that look for sure. Um, but it's just not a when you look around as far as needs for the Yankees and like where the positions are. It's just not one of them that I'm looking to add a, a, an aging guy when I have. A young dude that's about to hit his stride that has all the ability in the world. It's just asinine to think about that. To me, when you're thinking about one uh, that I, th- I believe he's ready to make that 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 move to make that big jump, um, because of where he is uh, age wise, because of where he is, you know, at bats in the in the um, in the bigs. Like I think he's had enough under there to figure this thing out. He's figured out the defense. Like he's shown the ability to get better. All of these things to me are uh, positive for a guy that should have a, a good amount of growth within your organization. Um, we're not going to talk long, just Scott and I, because we're, we're going to get to uh, the portion with Andy and also uh, we got to, we got to go, but <laughs> uh, quickly before we uh, talk about some other things, Morton signed with Atlanta yes. for a, a season, 15 million. Yeah. So under, now twice, under the qualifying offer again, this is now twice that, he has signed with another team for really not that much money, and he's he's still a very useful pitcher. The Yankees have not been linked to him. Maybe he just doesn't want to play for the Yankees, and it's a moot point. But I think there was ties one, to his one family year 15, being in. There's some uh, family connection there. Sure, but take that away. Mm-hmm. One year, fifteen million dollars for Charlie Morton. I think 
for the Yankees would make a, a ton of sense. It's a great deal. I would, I would, that reminds me of the Hiroki Kuroda deal where you get a very, very like stable guy who's going to come in, probably give you like number three type numbers, but a dependable arm in your, um, in your rotation that that's a veteran. So yeah, yeah, it's a good move. It's the, the Braves definitely won out there for sure. Um, I, I, this, this goes back to some of the other deals that the Yankees hadn't made in recent, in recent past where I don't think there were necessarily players in it. Uh, if, if we find out that they were players in it and they gave him, they offered a $14 million deal and wouldn't budge, that's going to piss me off. Uh, because that's a, that's a quality pitcher that they got at a, at a bargain. Right. And I mean, it makes the Rays worse. So, yeah, it does. So in a sense, that's good for the Yankees. And there's also rumors that the Rays are willing to shop Blake Snell. Which is odd. Are they, are like, do they just identify that they can't win in a big season? Like, shit, I, we I miss think, our opportunity. Yeah, I think what the Rays, they, they, the Rays don't want to be late. They, they rather be early than late. And they, but they have to do that. Or they have to do that early. They have to. Uh, guess when they're going to be early almost because they can't sit back and wait for these contracts to get to a point where but, now but they have his, no leverage. He's already signed to a contract for three more years at $40.8 million. For yeah. the quality of pitcher that he is, that is a bargain. You will get a freaking haul, uh, a yes. king's ransom for that. Yes. And that's so why. So if you can get like three top 10 prospects out of an organization plus a couple of other like flyers or something like that, I mean, and that's, then maybe that's, even a piece, maybe even a piece at the major league level, a controlled. But, but but if you're the Rays, like you're looking at this, okay, yeah, we we lose Charlie Morton, but we're we still won the division, we still went to the World Series, we still have confidence in our in our team. Selling Snell, I think, would give up that. I, you're well, just basically punting, like you're oh, no, no, they're we're not no punting. Competing. Uh, he had a bad year two years ago, and they were still very competitive. I think that they believe now, that. What are you talking about? He had a. Two years. I'm not uh, the year after he won the Cy Young. wasn't He didn't have a great year. Oh, he. Um, yeah. I think that they believe that they can win without. They him. can. Yeah, they can. They can absolutely fill that void. Look what they, they like did. A, look what they this, did with the is bullpen. This a, is this a system thing? They're yes. just like we're going to plug in yes. different freaky relievers into our system, Maybe. and we're going to get the same results. Or they feel confident in you know however many uh, people that they have in the uh, minor leagues that can come up and do something, or they can or, make a, a free agent acquisition. Um, I mean, they just got rid of Charlie Morton too, so that would be two of their starting rotation down. Two out of their big three starters. They have or, the number one prospect in baseball still. That's going to be, I think he was an A ball. So uh, last two years, whenever the hell the last real season was. So they have prospects still that are coming up. And if they were to get rid of a, a former Cy Young winner with three controllable three years at a good salary for three years, that's that's a that doesn't happen. They're going to get a shit ton of good prospects. So. And Ricerone just got into some trouble in Mexico. I don't really know. I just saw someone put it in our chat. What did he do? Uh, we don't know what he did. It's I, it was it. I just saw the headline. Something involving his wife and children. I don't know. Oh, that <laughs> that's very vague. Um, yeah, he, he Rosarino. Whatever. Uh, Rosarino. <laughs> He's in trouble. Ricerone. So so, but getting back to Blake Snell. What if Blake Snell went to raise ownership and said, "Screw you guys, I want out." Oh, uh, then the, you're saying leverage now goes away uh, a bit. I still I don't think the leverage goes away because there'll be competition. The leverage will be. What if that's the reason though they're they're shopping them? Oh, uh, maybe, possible. Like you don't let me go out there when I'm pitching the game of my life in the World Series. And there's too I much, want, and I, I don't want to catch the Rona. And Florida's a bad yeah. place to be. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to play in this freaking biodome anymore. Get me out of Tampa. Yeah, I don't think they lose much leverage honestly because the player is just that good. He's coming off of the best appearance he's ever had. The, all the attention was on that. And then 
you know, there's going to be um, there's going to be competition for him. So on the marketplace, it's going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be steep. All right. So that uh, you're back home, and that's great news. Yes. Kemp was discharged from the hospital Saturday. People, I got I got we've gotten emails uh, from from listeners. People reached out on social um, over the last three weeks that we've been doing the podcast while you while Kemp has been going through the surgery, and you've been in Boston at the hospital. People are very interested, uh, rightfully so. Uh, give an update. Yeah, so we got, uh, again, I've said this before and I'll say it probably a countless other times, the um, the outpouring of support and just, just you know, awesome posts, uh, tweets, DMs, messages that I've gotten in other places, just really, really appreciate it. And uh, to, to know that, you know, so many people are, uh, you know, Involved in Kemp's story is is uh, it warms my heart to be the cheesy dad, but he's doing really well. The doctors are very uh, very pleased with all of the numbers. Um, we had kind of a whirlwind twenty four hours where he had some things that happened on his end uh, medically, but uh, thankfully they got through them quickly on Friday night. Um, he was actually discharged on Saturday, and we got the green light to travel on uh, on Sunday. So we hit the road. We got we're like getting the hell out of Boston. Uh, we got the green light. We're good. Let's let's go. And we uh, we took the plunge. So now we're home. I uh, got to sleep in my own bed on Sunday night, which is back awesome. home just in time for Thanksgiving. Just in uh, just in time for Thanksgiving to stay at home by ourselves. <laughs> Sorry, it's better than staying in a one bedroom apartment in, yeah. in Boston. No, no, it was a studio apartment. Worse than that, studio apartment. Yeah. yeah. So no, it was uh, it was good for sure. Um, uh, and just he's doing well. Um, he's last night. You'd see just like the uh, the exuberance come back, and just slowly you're starting to see him get back to himself, and it's awesome to see. So yeah, thanks thanks for everybody who was um, who sent messages and uh, was kind of along along the way for this whole thing. We've all been through three of his surgeries now. You know, like that's crazy to think about this whole this this whole deal, and and how many of the listeners have been along this whole journey with us. So yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, that's gonna do it for for this portion. Stay tuned for the rest of the episode. Happy Thanksgiving out there to everybody. We uh, will, I guess we'll try and get back on a, on a normal schedule at some point next week. I don't even know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Now that I'm back, we're, we're, uh, we, can, we can get on more of a normal schedule. Kind of like waiting for Wednesdays. something to happen. Sign LeMayhew already so we can get on here and talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk sure. to you guys then. Hey guys, 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be more efficient, which means every single hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the right person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only got to pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that you can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates you will see and fast. Try Indeed without free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is going strong, and that's just one of the many things you can wager on at Bet Online. 
You might not be at a game this year, but you can still get in on the action. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can still even get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. They also have things you can bet on, like MLB Hall of Fame odds. I got an email about that this week. Some interesting things there. You can also bet on where Theo Epstein is going to take the next job if he's going to keep working in baseball. Go check it out. Don't forget to use our promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, it's great to welcome back Andy Martino of SNY to the podcast. We talked to him over the summer just before the Yankees and Mets were going to play. And uh, it was the weekend I think they got shut down and they didn't play. Right. And then they ended up playing later on. So, uh, Andy, welcome back. Well, thank you. And that is a nice little reminder as if one were needed that it was a kind of a weird year, yeah. <laughs> both in baseball and in uh, the, the world in general. It's like, yeah, we're gonna getting excited, hyping up the Subway Series. And then they got a deadly virus, and uh, fortunately everyone was okay, but they didn't play. <laughs> That's basically the summary. Yep, and I don't know how you feel covering the sport, but like we were, like you just said, trying to hype up the Subway Series. I don't feel like baseball or any sports ever got to the hype that they normally would get in a in a normal Yankees Mets Subway Series or a normal ALCS or a normal World Series or other sports, a normal's Masters Week. Normal's Masters mm-hmm. Week, that's all you hear about. And it's just, I don't know, sports, I don't know if they've been able to break through in this whole year because of COVID. Well, the ratings generally about on sports, TV ratings certainly bear that out. Uh, among other metrics, I'm sure that that's true. People haven't been as excited. I, I We might not be the best demographic to speak to that because I know I was excited to watch the World Series and the playoffs because I love the sport, and I'm sure you you were too. Uh, but more broadly, yeah, and I would suggest, look, maybe this is being too optimistic about our fellow uh, humans, but maybe that was people having their, their perspective actually in order this year. We had uh, a deadly pandemic, which we're still living under, of course, and the need to protect ourselves and our families from it. We had a, a highly consequential presidential election season going on, and we had racial unrest and awakening that led baseball players to literally leave the f- basketball players too, of course, to literally leave the field of play uh, because there were more important things going on. So, you know, as much as we love sports, uh, maybe people, maybe people by watching less of it actually were, were spending their time better. Maybe, yeah. And the whole, the whole cliche is you use sports as a distraction it's an entertainment just like just like a television show or a movie is a, is a distraction for a couple hours a night i don't know it it just uh, like and i think for very good reasons that you all just mentioned it's not it, it hasn't been able to to do it for a lot of people and my interest is as as diehard of a baseball and a yankees fan as i am my interest in the sport especially after the yankees were booted from the playoffs certainly declined uh, i think it's a number of different factors people who are listening know i've complained about certain areas of baseball the pace of play all that kind of stuff that i just find it hard to watch if i'm not vest- invested in a team on the field um so i think that played a factor and, and then couple that with with all those things and yeah you're gonna have terrible ratings but how do you think if you had to give a grade 
to MLB? How did they handle the COVID season? I, they would, I think they would have to grade out really high. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that way yet, but certainly like a B plus, A minus. And this is coming from somebody who was extremely uncomfortable with the effort to play. I understood it from a business standpoint. I, actually, I wanted them to try to play because I understand how many people's uh, careers and livelihoods were dependent on it. Uh, John Mazziliak, uh, uh, the president of baseball ops, obviously the Cardinals had a quote in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch when they were still determining whether they were going to play, which was like something to the, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of if we even just play one game this year, the amount of jobs that will save uh, will be, will be profound. Hmm. Uh, now a lot of jobs were lost in the industry anyway. Uh, and, careers ruined because of this uh but more were probably saved because they played so i I get the economic same reason i understand why my local restaurant wants to open up Mm -hmm. even though it's maybe not a decision i would make to go there i get why they're trying you know it's that balancing act sure um so i had discomfort with the fact they were playing and i was just worried i was like you know what i get that you're trying to start but if this enterprise of trying to play the baseball season kills one person then uh, it wasn't worth it. And that's something that a Rob Manfred is going to have to deal with as a, as a defining moment in his life is obviously his legacy. So it was a real, real uh, high wire act, right? Like, and what I mean by that is if a player came home, as far as we know, nothing like this happened. If a player came home with the virus, gave it to his, you know, uh, uncle and the uncle died of the virus, then you shouldn't have played baseball. That's what I, it's not worth one life. Of course. Um, but it, that doesn't appear to have happened. And the baseball did uh, tighten up the protocols when necessary. They weren't tight enough at the beginning when the Phillies and the Marlins played on a day when the Marlins had the virus. And if too many people appeared to have known about that. And, and they tightened it up. And they continued to tighten it up. And within some teams, they continued to tighten up. Ironically, Justin Turner of the Dodgers, sort of, at some point in the season, wrote this memo to his teammates like, social distance, wear your masks, let's go, let's not ruin this, people are depending on us. And there was a lot of leadership inside the game, and they ultimately came within, what, one inning of pulling uh, it off beautifully, and then Justin Of course, Turner. that's the lasting memory, though. It's the it's the last thing we see yeah. is from a COVID standpoint is Justin Turner on the field after he tested positive. And yeah. that seems like a typical MLB, in my opinion, that – that's what's going to get the headlines and I understand it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, overall it was, it was safe overall in the sense that there were no, no deaths from as far as we know, some players got it. A lot of players got it. Some players have had to deal with more serious things. I know Eduardo Rodriguez for the Red Sox is still dealing with health complications and he's, he's a young athlete and, and he's, he's still dealing with it eight months later. And I think you're right to point out that there are things other than, the, the ultimate result of death that are that are uh, very bad about the virus and, and players, and young athletes have certainly had serious effects. Certainly it's possible that family members that have gotten it from exposure to, although we just don't know. So yeah, they, they, uh, that, that, that's a good point about Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, and with Turner, yeah, look, it was just, had that not happened, had he not come back on the field, I think baseball would have been on the receiving end of a lot of very glowing reviews about how they handled the season and that tempered it and it should have. It was a bad look and a bad thing to have happened. So it underscores the complexity of of all of this. But still, really, when you look at it, 
a lot of people were skeptical that everyone knew they were going to start. A lot of people were skeptical that they were going to finish and they did. So it's something. Yeah. Not everyone played the same amount of games, but they got close enough, I guess. And I, I think whatever weekend it was where the Marlins were shut down, the Phillies were delayed. Yankees were traveling to Baltimore because they couldn't play the team they were supposed to. Like all that stuff happened. I was like, I don't see how this finishes. We're 10 days in and then we have all this crap going on. I just don't see how you get through it. And they got through it by hook or by crook. I don't know how they got through it. And um, yeah, there's something still rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe I'm just too too picky. Like after the season. Like like like, like, like after the season, after they got through it and all that stuff, and then Hal Steimer goes on uh, Michael K's show and talks about how the Yankees had such a hard season financially and that they were hit harder than any team in baseball. It's like, yeah, that, that might be true, Hal, but I don't want to hear about it. And no one else wants to hear about it. The, the bars around Yankee Stadium don't want to hear about it. The the people who rely on, on Major League Baseball don't want to hear about it. So, so I agree with you on that. I think that anybody who's... Uh, wealthy um, has clearly has less to complain about financially than a lot of other people <laughs> this year. And uh, it's not a good time and it's not a good look for any wealthy person, be it the owner of the Yankees or anyone else to say, oh, we lost a lot of money. It's like, yeah, you definitely still have your health insurance in your house and your company. And yeah. and they did have to lay off people or felt that they had to lay off people. We haven't seen their books. Uh, but for sure, I, I think that's a good point that the uh, the um, the optics of talking about that publicly are not not good for a wealthy person. Sure. And, and I believe he was asked directly about the question. So he answered it. I get it. Uh, it's just and, al- and also, well, did you lose money or did you just not make as much money as you would have in a normal year? That's another well, thing that is muddy, I think. Yeah, and I think there's two ways to answer that question, too, which is uh, Brian Cashman's st- sort of stock answer has been more appropriate than than that answer that Hal gave, I think, which has been basically he will lead every answer about that generally with I'm we're very fortunate that we're in business. I'm fortunate to have a job. I'm fortunate to have these kinds of problems. It's been a tough year for a lot of other people. I think you can describe the reality of the Yankees are tightening their belts because of covid that's fine, but you should say that a lot of people have it worse first. And I think Cashman's done a better job of that than some, actually. Yeah, Cashman, I think, um, and Cashman's, I guess this goes nicely into Cashman and Boone's end of season press conferences, which I'm sure you, I don't know if you were on the Zoom or not, but I'm, I'm sure you've was, watched. Yeah. yeah. And um, some, you know, some of the things that I, I thought Cashman said were a lot more honest than what Boone was saying. Like, Boone constantly talking about how close the team is when they haven't made the World Series yet under him and they just got beat by a division rival in the division series, not even the championship series, I think is a little disingenuous. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just Boone. Um, but what were your thoughts on that? I don't think it's disingenuous. I understand why it would be unsatisfying. I, I would draw a difference there. The reason I don't think it's disingenuous is because I think that what defines Aaron Boone in that role if not as a human, I don't know him in his personal life, but I know him in his professional life. And he has a a borderline, if not over the borderline, irrational belief in his players. Like when he was telling us that Sonny Gray was going to be okay, he meant it. (laughs) I swear to you. 
Like he, and sometimes that works against him because Sonny Gray was not going to be okay in New York, and it took a Cashman to pull the plug. Yeah. Uh, he, his strength is that it's not fake a belief in the people and the players in that clubhouse. It's genuine belief, and players can smell the difference. So that helps him get buy-in from his players, uh, and it leads him to say things that are that don't have the um, perhaps objective insight that fans want to hear when they're feeling really shitty about the fact that your team just lost again in the playoffs. So I think it was everything he said was authentic, but then it's up to the fan to decide if it's what they feel a manager should be saying at that time. That's a different question. Okay. But but I don't think it was disingenuous. Maybe disingenuous is the wrong word. How about wrong? It's just wrong because you – you got bounced in the ALDS and you didn't have a second starting pitcher. You're not close if that's the case. If you have one yeah. starting pitcher on your roster, you're not close. So I I, I just I, I get bothered by those sorts of things because I look at the team objectively and you can complain about the strikeouts. You can complain about the lack of balance in the lineup. You can complain about all these different things. But the reality is they had to try to trick the Rays into winning a series uh, because they didn't have more than one starting pitcher, so I don't know. I don't know how you can say you're close to winning a World Series when 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 that's the case. Uh, all all fair analysis. I believe that he truly believes it. I, I'll. I know that after they lost to the Astros in nineteen, he was he took it really really hard, like for a long time, like devastated, uh, because he couldn't believe. Like, he literally, I don't know that he could process mm. that they didn't win the World Series. He's like, we're great. My guys are great. Like, what What do you mean we're not? He really, like, I don't think he could quite compute it. Uh, again, like, you, and I know that was a different year and a different set of circumstances. So you, I wouldn't disagree that the Yankees were more than one player or one pitcher away or, or what have you. And his analysis uh, was probably generous. But... Um, that's that's just that's who he's going to be in that job. That he's going to be like, just not quite fathoming that his guys who he believes in aren't the best team in baseball. I, I really think that's like a psychological. I don't know if it's a psychological trick that he plays on himself or just the fact that he's made these deep connections and and can't accept anything else. But but that that's how he is. And now there's another point of it, which is probably more calculated, which is what's a manager, how's a manager going to position himself in a, in a news conference setting under those circumstances? Well, is he going to say we didn't have enough pitching? That's a shot at his boss, right? Yep. So maybe if he thinks that privately, he would be more likely to express that in a meeting. Hey, cash, can we get it? Can we get a starting pitcher or two? Um, but present a unified front once you're up at the podium. Uh, so that that's another piece. Of it. Well, see, I actually didn't think that was a unified front because I thought Cashman was much more honest about where the team stands right now in his he analysis. Has to be. He's the boss, yeah. right? Yeah. Plus, it's self-criticism, not criticism of someone else. He can say, yeah, we weren't – he said the Rays are better than us uh, because they were, which is an indictment. So Eric Neander put together a better team than I did on a tighter budget. He can criticize himself. If Boone said that, we 
we'd all be like, whoa, you just said that your GM did put together a worse team than the other GM. Yep. So that's a calculation. He's got to be like, am I going to make a new story or am I going to tell him that privately? And this fair? all this fair and it all goes back to the is Aaron Boone a puppet? <laughs> well, <laughs> puppet is a I couldn't term believe he actually you know? said that. I couldn't believe he actually said it. Like when he said that, I was watching the press conference live. I, I almost did a spit take when I heard Cashman say those words. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of Trump memeing that no puppet, no puppet, you're the puppet. And which is like, it, it, it may have been a little bit of you protest too much. Uh, Aaron Boone is, took a job in a collaborative organization. That's why I actually really think that the whole discussion of puppet is not one worth having. I think it's a discussion out of another decade. I'm not criticizing you for bringing this up. I'm criticizing it for being a topic Mm -hmm. a month or two ago. Um, if any fan of any team thinks that, you know, Earl Weaver's walking through that door or Lou Pinella or Joe Torrey, uh, that's just obviously, or Tony LaRussa. Oh wait, he just got a job. Well, right. And how's that going so far? (laughs) Exactly. So you, you, I'll give you a little reporting on how this decision worked to use the opener on, um, uh, God. My memory's failing me. Game, Game two? two. Yep. Yeah. Yep, uh, two. So I, my reporting, my memory, my reporting is better than my memory, which game it was, fortunately. But uh, so this could be a little microcosm of the puppet discussion versus the collaborative discussion. So uh, you have the Yankees analysts led by Mike Fishman uh, doing their work that they always do. And this is like 20 guys in that mm-hmm. department or more, like figuring out, OK, what are the matchups? Uh, why don't we like half against this part of the lineup? All this stuff. None of this is shocking, but just like you, you would know this as a fan who pays attention. But they're figuring out all that stuff. Then you've got Tim Nearing and Jim Hendry and the scouting kind of guys thinking like, okay, where do we agree and where do we disagree with the analysis that was brought out? They're all discussing it in a room. Boom will be in that room at a certain point and the coaching staff. And, and these guys from the front office will be like, all right, we're thinking – that the lane for Hap is this, the lane for Davey Garcia is this, but we're going to give you, so we're going to suggest, and you know, we're your bosses in parentheses, so we're going to suggest that you uh, do do it this way, that you use an opener and, and then use Garcia this way, uh, but we're not going to tell you what batter to bring in Garcia. We're not going to tell you exactly when to happen. We're going to give you this information over what part of opposing lineup might be best uh, to make that change. And you're going to watch the game and you're going to combine what we've shared with you with your own instincts and your own eyes. And you're going to decide when to use this information to make a decision that's along these lines. Are you okay with that? Yes or no. And Boone might be like, I don't like that. And then they'll hash it out. Boone might win and his coaches might win some of those arguments. And we don't hear about those. That's one thing I was told during this time. It's like, the manager goes toe-to-toe with the analytics guy, and the manager wins. They just play. We never found out right. about that argument, but but that happens too. But I can give you one example. The analytics department did not want Didi Gregorius playing down the stretch in 2019. They thought, this guy is not looking good. His first step quickness was one particular issue that their that they're like StatCast data, StatCast like data showed. Yeah. Don't play Didi. Boone was like, nope, Didi's a guy. He's my player. He's more old school. They played him. Boone won that one. There's an example. 
Yeah, so, and I could see Boone winning a lot of those types of things, like playing Brett Gardner and stuff like that. Where there you go. I, I totally you go. could see that happening. My issue with the analytics being so heavily involved in pitching decisions before first pitch is even thrown is it's almost worse to give all that information and then leave the decision up to him than rather just go into it. I said this a million times after game two, go into it, keep it simple, stupid when you're already up 1-0 in the series. If you're down 1-0 in the series and you have to pull a rabbit out of your hat to try and win the series, okay, I understand a little bit more. Yeah. But at a yeah, certain point, at a certain point, I just think they're over. It's it's overthinking thing, and it's not just the Yankees. I think Kevin Kevin Cash and the Rays they got bit by their own success in the very end by pulling Blake Snell, and um, and I found just I want to mention this now because it's relevant. I found Theo Epstein's comments in his exit interview uh, press conference where he talked about the negative impact analytics have had on the game and he blamed himself he's like he looked himself in the mirror it's like it's guys like me who have made analytics so prominent in front offices and it's hurt the aesthetic value of the game Absolutely. and and, and i and i think and i think it was great that he said that uh because it's like it's finally someone who's like the head analytics guy in, all, in the whole sport calling it for what it is it's certainly valuable but it doesn't need to be the only thing you look at. And, you know, Sandy Alderson's been getting at that, too. And he's even, you know, exponentially more a foundational figure for analytics in the sport than Theo Epstein. He was literally the guy that first brought a Bill James baseball abstract into a into a team office in like 1983. Uh, Moneyball was a was accidentally about Billy Bean. If Michael <laughs> Lewis knew the organization, it would have been about Sandy Alderson. Uh, so and he's been he's been saying things like lately, like now he's been saying things like I want a GM who has empathy and communication, doesn't demonize the other side. Uh, so he, he and he's been on the competition committee in its various forms it, that the commissioner uh, not runs, but, you know, under the banner of the commissioner's office and looking at ways you can make the product more entertaining, whether it's OK, analytics have created the shifts. Uh, there's been a lot of momentum and I believe Alderson has been very interested in this of banning shifts. Mm -hmm. So like different things on the, on the analytical, on the idea, on the realization from the fathers of analytics in the game that it's hurt the product is definitely a thought that's going around. So I agree about that. And it does, it it relates back to the Yankees and Rays and all that. Like you said, I agree. And then, so, and then bringing it back to is Boone a puppet. I think it comes down to, again, he knew, he knew where he took a job. He, 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 he is allowed to have these arguments, but the final step of that is that once you leave the room, once you leave the, the conference room or now the Zoom meeting where this is hashed out, uh, present a unified front in public as best yeah, you yeah. can. Well, yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, having said all that, you know, maybe, maybe just having a strict puppet would be better for the organization than having a guy that's a puppet 75% of the time and then 25% making his own decisions because then you have inconsistency. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Yes or no. I think what they aim for is a process that's collaborative all the time. And in, and sometimes the scouting perspective wins and sometimes the analytic perspective wins and they aim for a healthy debate each time. Whether they achieve that, uh, we could probably pull to 10 different members of the Yankees organization who might have slightly different like any workplace, right? Well, where do you but, stand? Where do you stand on on the way that teams have 
have where the way the sport has gone not analytics because uh, i'm sure you're like most baseball fans who understand analytics are a big part of the game which is mm-hmm heavily numbers oriented and you can right. find ways to use it and find find ways to just use your eyes and, and and enjoy the sport but where do you what are your feelings on how far it's been taken for with some organizations well it's hard to argue with the success because obviously the Dodgers and the Rays facing each other in the World Series it was, was a victory for, for that movement yeah it was perfect um, for the situation yeah, I think that you can't run a baseball organization now without a heavy investment in analytics, obviously. You'd just be behind and you'd be ignoring things that are helping other teams win. So I really think, like, as what I was alluding to with Alderson and his current search for an executive, you know, I asked him once, what's the next frontier of analytics? Under the premise of, like, you were the first. Like, you brought on base percentage into the game like out of the fringe now that's that's What's, an old school metric now right so that was the first thing then we went through war then we went through this that like, there was vort there was you yeah, know there's like yeah, been a yeah, trendy yeah. thing a lot of different times what's next what's the next frontier and he said it's not a, it's not the next frontier the final frontier of the analytics movement is not a number it is a a type of human and this oh, gets no. to what i was saying before oh my but God. It, it's no no are no, they gonna put like, a number on a type of human are they gonna assign no, 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 a, no, no, a value no. It's that empathetic, listening, uh, communicative executive that can make the old school feel valued and the new school have its voice. Mm-hmm. And so what I so I, what I'm saying where I feel that it's gone is uh, toward uh, some good results, but poor communication. A lot of really good people in the industry that have a lot of knowledge being undervalued, either losing their jobs or losing their influence in the jobs they have. And what's needed is a correction where analytics people can say, um, you, you, uh, you guys on the other side of this have something to teach us. And then, uh, you know, maybe some of the decisions, maybe on some of the decisions they need to be listened to more. I talked to uh, a source I have in the Yankee organization who really does a good job of understanding both sides and said, what did you think about the decision to take Snell out of that World Series mm-hmm. game? And this person said, you know, it was process wise, it was a sound decision, but athletes understand that you have a certain gear sometimes where you exceed your, your, your typical value and they can see it and they can feel it. And Blake Snell that day was just operating on a plane that someone else was unlikely to match coming out of that bullpen. Yeah. And I've seen the argument that Nick Anderson was just the wrong guy. I don't I don't accept that argument. I think that the, it was wrong to take Snell out of the game because he should have listened or trusted the instinct of uh, any athlete, any ex-athlete, and probably Kevin Cash knows that you just you you, you ride that. For Kevin a Cash was long. a baseball player. He knows. Like he yeah. wasn't the best baseball player, but he was around the best baseball player, so he knows He's that. Yeah. He knows he I'm sure I shouldn't say I'm sure. I haven't talked to him about it. I, I I would imagine that he understands that as an athlete, Snell was the guy you didn't want to face as the opponent that day. But he also understands that he works in an organization where where there's a process oriented decision making. And he was, you know, managers also I'm not accusing Cash of this, but managers manage against getting second guessed all the time too by their bosses and by the media. Like when sacrifice Cer- bunting was the thing Certainly. to do, you bunted because it, you didn't want to hear why didn't you bunt. Right. So right, there's a right. little bit of that going on too. 
I, I don't know. I, I totally understand that. I, and as far as like the, the analytics community goes, like I love, I love analytics when it can support or, or counter things. Like you find out why is this guy having so much success? You dig into his analytics. Oh, wow. He, his spin rate on his fastball is tremendous. That's why Chad Green is able to blow guys away at 95 miles an hour when normally a 95 mile an hour fastball gets hit because he has great spin rate. Cool. Great fact. I lose it when the analytics community tries to tell me there's no such thing as clutch or no such thing as hot and cold because it's still humans playing the sport. So there's still Mm -hmm. certain pressure situations that even though this guy's numbers against this type of pitcher say he's going to hit 300, he might not because it's a certain situation that that analytics just simply cannot predict. It's human element. Right. You need to... A, a good leader of baseball ops department needs to really understand the value of both of those arguments and weigh them. And I agree with you on those particular points. Uh, you need, if you're a, a Theo Epstein or a Brian Castor or an Andrew Friedman or anybody, you need to have a couple of people in the room that be like, no, listen, I, I played. And when you're hot, you're hot. Yeah. Just like Snell was in that yeah. game. And, and that, and it's the fault of many in the analytics side over many years that they've just waved that, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Imagine being in a room with a 30-year-old Ivy League hotshot when you played and being told, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. The hotshot might be right about that particular point, but but that type of guy in baseball has done a very poor job over the years of being like, hmm, you played, you, you understand this on a muscle memory level that I couldn't, let, let's let's engage on that. Let's talk. And if yep. we still disagree at the end, fine. But I think there's been too much dismissiveness. Well, if you are, uh, you know, you talk about what Sandy Alderson is, is talking about the next wave where it's it's someone who can blend it and manage each side, then, then maybe yeah. that's the perfect storm, perfect recipe for for where it's going. Maybe we have gone too far in one direction and in the past we've been too far in the other. Maybe we can get in the middle. And um, yeah. because, yeah, it's certainly... It certainly wins games over a regular season. Like, there's no question about that. Uh, and then it, you see certain situations in the postseason where it blows up, and and those are yeah. the ones that get the most attention. Um, right. When when and just to put a put a bow on it, when the one the the many many decisions that are analytics based over the course of that postseason don't get attention because they worked. So I right. guess that's the other side but, of it. But, yeah. But, but you're right. That's, it's a, that's it's a, how that's like all things in moderation. <laughs> So is uh, I know there's a lot of rumors about Theo taking the Mets job sometime next year. I guess because he said he's going to take a year off. But now Cohen's officially he's take he's taken over the Mets. He's uh, he's made some changes already. Um, how how do you how do you see it going with uh, with Cohen in the first first couple of years? Uh, first couple of years, he's giving Alderson the opportunity to shape the organization. He he chose Alderson as his main guy is point person in the baseball industry to, to lead him through that uh, process of that transition into owning the team. Alderson's got a two year contract might stay longer. Uh, so the next couple of years, it'll be a lot of trust for Alderson to fill out that organization and, and, and do what he thinks he should do. That was a choice to make with Sandy Alderson. Cohen could have tried to get Cashman. He could have tried to get Theo. He could have tried to get, you know, like, gone as the Dodgers got Andrew Friedman like there's a lot of ways you could go with that top job and he chose Sandy Alderson so that's in whose image the team will be in the short term and and if they really hire well uh as they hope to 
Alderson will hire a GM who can grow into then just continuing that path after Alderson retires. He's 73 years old. It's not yeah. going to go on forever. So that's how the next couple of years from a, a front office perspective play out. From a player perspective, look, Cohen set a very Steinbrennerian goal of winning the World Series in three to five years. That's where I was He's going willing to it, yeah. spend the money to pursue that. Uh, they're in on George Springer right now. They might be in on a Bauer. Uh, you're going to have to get used to LeMahieu now that Cano's not playing next year? That I don't see. Uh, that's that's more rumor than fact. Uh, LeMahieu's got a lot of interest. I, I don't think the Mets are one of the teams that are particularly interested in him. Um, but look, more broadly, what you as a Yankee fan will have to get used to, I guess, is not writing off the Mets on the big targets. If it were a year ago, it would have been like, okay, the Yankees want Cole. Other teams on Cole include the Dodgers, the Angels, the Mets. You know, it's just like they're going to be in that conversation and get some of those guys. So I remember reading a story about George Steinbrenner where he exploded because he exploded like in the early 80s because the Yankees lost a spring training game in embarrassing fashion to the Mets. He just could not stand to lose to the Mets. It's, it's all he cared about because he was right. compared to right? he wanted he, Steinbrenner wanted back page headlines. Is Cohen not that crazy, but is he a type of guy that met, will measure himself against the Yankees? Against the Yankees? I'm not sure. Uh, like directly against the Yankees, I don't see signs of that. In fact, there's a bit of a connection. Um, I mean, the Yankees voted for his approval when it wasn't a sure thing. The the relationship between like the ownership, Randy Levine's side, like Steve Cohen, his associates, I hear is is quite good right now. Uh, could be a honeymoon phase, but <laughs> it's, it's it's quite good. Um, I think he'll be emotional in terms of wanting to win and wanting to win championships. And I think what's unique is defining um, defining success by championships, which, believe it or not, is not the norm in this business. Because if you look at the teams that are regarded, I think, more broad, like it, if you were to say who are the most respected organizations by other organizations, you would say the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Indians, and the Rays. Five teams, most respected. Indians, Indians. I'm surprised to hear the Indians For in sure. that. Yeah. Just because they're smart, process, they do so well. All the pitching they develop, they do so well with limited resources, all that stuff. Those are the front offices that are regarded as the best inside the game. Of those five teams, how many championships in the past 11 years? One. One. And zero until last month. Yep. So. They're not trying to win championships. I mean, they're, they're trying to win I know, championships. I, That's not how they define success. It's it's great that you brought that up because we actually just had a mailbag question on our last episode about sort of like how do front offices measure return on investment? And you look at it, and if it's just based on World Series, then no one's getting a return on the, their investment except maybe like the, the Giants because they've won three World Series in the last decade. Mm-hmm. But it's teams that get to the playoff consistently and win multiple series have won multiple playoff series. That's really where you start to see all of the salary you've put into the team start to give something back as far as, okay, you, you, you didn't spend nearly as much to win these seven playoff series as some other teams yeah. have spent to win one playoff series. I use the, you know, the angels have spent like fourth or fifth most in baseball since 2010. And they've made the playoffs once. That's a horrible return on investment. Yes. Yes, it is. And, and 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 I think probably in terms of TV ratings for their RSNs, ballpark revenues, 
being in contention every September but never winning a championship is a better economic model than what the Giants or the Red Sox do. It's the old, it's uh, the old producers. It's the old producers stink. theory. Yeah, right. So, exactly. Well, right, but it's an interesting analogy, actually, making me think about that. But, you know, so Cohen now is coming in, just like, what are you talking about? I won in business. Right. I won. He's this. That's big the. I'm wondering deal. if this is the type of guy he's going to be, and. Well, yeah, we've seen we've seen signs yeah. of that already. Great. He's like, he's very public so far. He's extremely online. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's like up in the mentions of Mets fans. Like, oh yeah, it's great. I mean, joking about Bobby Bonilla Day. It's like, yeah. I see a, sh- I've seen a shift, and I'm not a Yankees fan that despises the Mets. I think it, baseball is better in New York City when both teams are relevant. Both teams are good. Mm-hmm. That's when it's mm-hmm. the most fun. Well, they'll be relevant. I, I think. Yeah, the Mets have found a way to be relevant every year, often not for good reasons. But I think they'll probably be they'll be relevant, and they're both they'll both be likely competitive most years. Uh, so that I agree with you. That'll be fun. That, there's nothing more fun in this town for a baseball fan than than when those two teams are are facing each other in a big subway series or hmm. or just you know. I want to say battling for the back pages. Sadly, that's not as much of a thing anymore. As an old newspaper guy, I wish it right, was. But right. you know, whatever it is, battling for attention or supremacy, that is fun. And that's without it being anti-Yankee. That's clearly what Cohen has in mind: is to be a winning organization, be relevant. But you gotta, you gotta take the Yankees off the the fictitious back page in this sense. So yeah, it, well, it, that's true. In that sense, you gotta, you gotta be. You got to measure yourself against the team across town. Now, and I understand there's, it's not it's not a black and white black and white thing. It's a gray area, and he's measuring himself based on a, a number of other different factors. But um, you know, the Mets have. It's not like they've had no success uh, over the past bunch of years. I mean, they went to the World Series. The Yankees haven't been More to the World Series, the right? Exactly. Right. But but other than that, they've they've from a from a distance really kind of been a disaster. So so. So yeah, I mean, they have a lot of they put their as an organization, they've tended to put their foot in their mouth, obviously, a lot. They've had these catastrophes happen. I think there are certainly times when something happens to the Mets that if it were to happen to the Angels or the Indians, it would be like, you know, it does feed into a, a pre-existing perception of New York Mets, City. But it's there. New York City, baby. New York that's the thing. You're going to you're going to play in New York City. You're going to get more attention. That's just the reality. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. And, and they're, they'll, they'll obviously try to be. They'll try to change the subject and change the reputation. Uh, Alderson spoke at his introductory news conference and his return here recently of like wanting to have. He said the Mets are a storied franchise, but the stories haven't always been good. We want to be an iconic franchise. Like, and I thought that was an interesting distinction to draw. Yeah, that is. Last thing I want to talk about because I know you're you're working on the book about the uh, the cheating scandal. What were your thoughts on Hinch and Cora getting jobs immediately? I thought that uh, it was fine. Because, number one, if you were to apply a broad standard to the industry, uh, players who cheat and get suspended do have an opportunity to work again if the market allows it. You, you can get a drug suspension or even multiple drug suspensions and, and then get another contract if you're a good player. Now, right. that's maybe cynical. And a counterargument that someone brought to me on this was like, so just because other people are bad means more bad is okay? I and and I, I, I get that. But- but the reality is that cheating aside, Hinch and Cora are really good baseball guys, really good contemporary managers who could blend the academic, the uh, analytics with the gut, 
thing, communicate pr- pretty well with players. And I think both have done a decent job of acknowledging their mistakes in an earnest way. So I don't really see the argument for blackballing them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, they were immediately desirable because they're they're good. And uh, look, it, you give any GM truth serum about a steroid player and they'll be like, just don't get caught, please. And be like, right. use whatever makes you good and, and pass the test. So it's not an ethical industry in that way nope. anyway. So why, well, that's where why I'm, that's, would this be the line? Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's that baseball, it, they talk out of both sides of their mouth on, on cheating scandals because on the one hand, they make such they try and make such a big deal about the Astros cheating scandal, calling it the worst, you know, basically the worst scandal that's happened in our sport. As far as from a team cheating perspective in the modern era, they immediately suspend these guys for a year. Lunau gets suspended for a year, but then it's like a year. But they didn't really go full full in with some of the penalties. I mean, they got draft pick draft picks lost. Yeah. What was it five million dollars? Which, yeah, I mean, Crane is going to find behind his couch. Like so. So on one hand, it's it's they're saying it's severe, but. They're not punishing like it's severe. And then a year later to the day that AJ Hinch last managed, he's got another managerial job. So, so again, I understand why they have managerial jobs, but which is it baseball? Do you care about cheating or do you not care about cheating? And I don't know. Uh, yeah. Care. That's an interesting word. Uh, they care. Like you just said, they care about getting caught. They care about getting caught. As an industry, and I'm not talking about Rob Manfred. I'm not talking about any team. I'm sort of when we say baseball, you're sort of talking about the whole culture of players, executives, fan base, just the whole thing. Right. I think fans too. Like if you if if I told you that the entire 2009 Yankees team was on steroids, you'd probably be like, "Well, I, okay, they still won." I, I don't want to assume how you would feel about I, it, but I, a lot of fans. I would say, yeah, that makes sense considering A. Rod was there, Cano was there, Melky right. Cabrera was there. Right. Oh, Clemens probably left something from. Uh, I guess it was a new stadium, so I guess that the, the, his packages didn't get right. redirected to the new stadium. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. it it's I'm so I'm kind of numb to the steroids thing at this point. If you had if you had told me the day after the 2009 championship they were all on steroids, I would have cared a hell of a lot more than I do now. Well, it's a good thing you didn't know about A Rod till later then, so it didn't it didn't it didn't spoil your. Was it that off season? Uh. You can assume that when someone is caught, it's, it's no, no, not but the like only I'm trying to remember when the when did he initially get popped? I forget. Uh, he initially got popped before the 2009 season. Okay. regarding a 2003 test. Right, right. He um, did that interview. He first with, uh, yeah. met Tony Bosch in 2010. I'm sure you've seen Screwball. Um, have you seen Screwball? Uh, I, I have, and I've done some of that reporting myself on the whole A Rod MLB thing, and and A Rod in the process of sort of the back end of all these Mia culpas about his earlier use was cultivating Bosch and getting that going. Mm. So you draw whatever conclusions yeah. you want about the interim. You know, I think it's fair at that point to, <laughs> to think about that. But um, at any rate, it's a, a person with a strong moral compass would probably object to this discussion and what we're saying by saying none of this is okay. And it, Let's start with Hinch and Cora and, and clean it up there and and 
drug cheats going forward in the whole thing. And I, I, I appreciate that perspective, but um, it just the industry being what it is and those guys having a proven track record and nobody thinks that they were only good at what they did because of cheating. Right. Uh, so I no, mean, I, I, I don't think that at all. I, I, yeah. I I've said that a, a, a dozen times. They could have won the World Series without it. Might have helped them win the World Series, but well, they could have. They could have. They were good enough. It's another when they won in seven games by a razor thin margin. It is an interesting, unanswerable question. But to your, I know what you're saying. Yeah, they're yeah. talented. It, it, it's not like you. It's not like they went from from. Uh, <laughs> I know they were below 500 this year, which is maybe hurting my argument, but then at the same time, they were in the ALCS. So yeah. Yeah. Hinch's weakness as a manager was not in anything that, you know, they, they were good enough. They had the talent. They won. They might've won without the cheating. Who knows? Um, his weakness was, why don't you say anything if you didn't, if you, if you, if you didn't like it. Yeah. And if I'm interviewing him, if I'm the Tigers and I'm interviewing him for that job, I definitely want to know that he grew out of that. And like, if something bad happened, now would you step up? Would you say something? Would you have the guts to to say something? And and um, I hope hopefully he was asked that in that interview. But if he answered it satisfactorily, I would consider hiring him because going forward he's good. Alex Corris just uh, got a great feel for the game. He did something wrong. He crossed the line. Uh, and so in, during that interview process with Heim Bloom and the new Red Sox management, he was asked. I can tell you, he was grilled on that. Right, because didn't Bloom not necessarily want Cora back? He was. I don't know if it's that. I just think that he probably needed to be satisfied that this wouldn't happen again. Because whether or not Heim Bloom cares about sign stealing, he he knew that Jeff Luno's career has been ruined. You know, you can't have that happen on your watch anymore. Right. So they had to be sure that Cora had learned from that and wouldn't try to pull anything again. Uh, so if you're hiring, if you got that cleared up, if you're confident he's not going to do it again. Then look going forward. He's a good, he's a good choice to, to lead your team. So I guess, you know, I, so I understand the hires and and I think that what my book's kind of about, among other things, and what fascinates me about this situation, is the basic question of how three decent, truly decent human beings, Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora, and AJ Hinch, got caught up in the worst baseball scandal in a long time. Yeah. That's what's interesting to me. So in, baked into that premise is that they're all decent people. Uh, so I, that, that's what I think. No, nice. Uh, when is? Do you know when it's coming out? Should be sometime early next year in the spring. I think everything in public – originally we'd hoped a little sooner. It's, it's done. Everything has been pushed back a little by, by obviously COVID. Um, but uh, by, early, by at the very latest, early next season, it will be out and published in very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, uh, it's it's fascinating because you peel back the layers and there's just there's more and more. It's think, so fast. You think Beltran will get I another mean, job? I, can't even tell you. Uh, I don't know because he doesn't have that track record. It wasn't a particularly well reviewed hire in the first place before we knew about this stuff because like I, I liked the hire. I like him. I think he had a lot of growth potential in that job. That he he's also a very reserved, shy introvert in a lot of ways. He's really good with players, and he would have been great that way. But this year, when the pandemic happened, when Black Lives Matter uh, finally made its way into the game, I, I found myself thinking, I'm not sure Carlos Beltran would be comfortable speaking to these things in a news conference. He's a private guy. Yeah. So didn't think I, don't know. I didn't I didn't think about it uh, in that sense. Like I thought 
I thought about it from I know people love Carlos Beltran and and say he's a great teammate and all that kind of thing. So I figured, he and he's got yeah. the he's got the Hall of Fame playing resume that not many managers have. So that sort of mm-hmm. can command respect right there. Um, yes. So I I found it interesting from that standpoint. But those are good points as far as like Cora's not afraid to speak out. And he wasn't right. Well, he skipped the White House visit when they won the World Series. Right. Beltran's just more uh, he, when he's in a good mood and when things are going well, he's extremely outgoing and wonderful. And I mean, he's really he's a great person in a lot of ways. And I've been fortunate to get to know him a bit uh, over many years. But when when something's bothering him, like I remember when you were when when I would cover him as a player, you could always tell if his knee hurt because. If, if he felt good, he'd talk to you for an hour. If his knee hurt that day, he was surly, grumpy, and he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give you the time of day because it wasn't about you. It was that he's sort of like an introvert. Yeah. So I, I think that was something that um, that was something that might impact whether he gets another job or wants another job. Um, but he he's a lot of ways that he could be good. Like you said, he's a good teammate, great teammate. He has a deep love for other players. He 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 really just wanted the job to like help to contribute. He's a service-minded person. Hmm. He does a lot in Puerto Rico for for causes that some of which you know about, some of which we don't. And he's just like, I'm rich. I don't have to work again, but I want to help these younger players. That was truly a good part of his motivation to seek that Mets job. So I think all that speaks well for him, but there's only 30 of those jobs. So I, right. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Right. And there's so many, because I know he was a special advisor to the Yankees, I think the year before that. So there's certain ways yeah. that the Yankees have a hundred special advisors, but there's certain ways you can have your your fingerprints on, on an organization and go to spring training. You could show up when you want, you could leave when you want. Being a manager for, it's a 12 month job, obviously, but like really it's a six month at 24 hours a day kind of job. Yeah. When you're that yeah. rich and you're that successful is like, you got to be wired a certain way to accept that job. Yeah, and he really he he got himself to a place where he wanted he he wa- was that guy who would accept yeah. that job under those circumstances. But we'll never know how it would have actually played out when he was. Um, this is a little nugget, like a little paragraph in my book, but I'll share it um, just in, in in the background on him. When he first got to the Mets as the big free agent signing in 05, uh, David writes the young star. He can Beltron connects with David Wright, seeks him out. He's like, you know, let's be the leaders of the team together. Let's let's get to know each other. Let's work. We're going to work out together all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, great. And they're friends and they start working out together all the time. But then Beltron starts getting booed. The press is tough on him. The whole New York thing isn't going great. And he just kind of ghosts. Right. And they're not close anymore and they're not working out anymore. And Wright's kind of like, OK, I guess I'm not going to get to know this guy. And that's <laughs> how it kind of played out. Uh, that, Interesting. That's the other side of it. Interesting. Yeah. You, you you get certain nuggets like that about players, but yeah, I don't know. It's not something I would have thought Beltran would have done, but yeah, you never know. He's you younger never... then, different yeah. circumstances, but I'm just saying that's how he can withdraw into himself a little bit. And I right. think that's what happened after the scandal too, is that he, Cora and Hinch and Luna all had their strategies to try to kind of go out there, give interviews, get new jobs or what have you, sue the, sue the ass, all these things. And Beltran just closed it up with his family and has not been heard from. Right. Yeah, because he was a player on that team and he got lumped in with the coaches and the managers and all yeah. that stuff, probably unfairly. Even Fair if he yeah. even if he was yeah. the leader of the players making sure that the camera was in place and the and the 
the station was in place to to steal the signs, mm-hmm. uh, he's still a player, and, and people kind of yeah. forgot that. I think in the whole thing, he was in the middle ground too with represent with help with that and representation. The union sent uh, like legal counsel in with the players you interviewed. Uh, Astros players that went in for the investigation yeah. and they didn't send a lawyer in with Beltron because he wasn't an actor. He's no longer player. in the players union. Huh. So he didn't have the same resources and that might not have necessarily been fair. Uh, the decision to put his name in the actual commissioner's report was one that took a, him and I think a lot of people by surprise. And really the game that he had devoted so much to slapped him down pretty hard over that. He, he brought it on himself. He cheated. But he was given he was the there was a line in the commissioner's report um so it was like several players including carlos beltran and that little (laughs) yeah it's like yeah that was a de facto punishment because once that was in the report he's not managing the mets this year right and and i mean it 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 wasn't discipline but it but it was and so do you think do you think if he didn't have that mets job in that offseason his name gets mentioned in the report. I don't know the answer to that, but I wouldn't be surprised if him or people close to him would suspect that. that yeah. I, I'm not being cute. Like, I don't have a direct answer to no, that question. Yeah, it's, it, an it's an interesting question. Yeah, because it just seems like from what you've said that because he was now in a, one of the 30 positions as manager in the sport... Baseball had to treat him differently than if he was just a retired player or a special advisor to the Yankees or or maybe even a bench coach or a third base coach somewhere. Maybe. I, I have to leave my, my reporting on that kind of leaves that yeah. at a question, but it's a question that's certainly been asked. Cool. Well, good stuff. I appreciate all the time. Always fun uh, to talk to you and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.